0: When you fill the room, you're here, and I know you will move me. I'm here, and I know you will fill me. Home. Spirit, when you when you make my heart when you fill the room, you're here, and. You can't do You're faithful Yeah. yeah. still stands The great is your faithful
1: It all minister here. And um, if no one said it to you yet, welcome, welcome. I hope you have had a fantastic week and this is the highlight of it so far. Uh, if this is your first time, I wanna encourage you to stop by our welcome desk in the atrium. We have a gift just for you and we'd love to get to know you and get connected with you that way. You can also text the number 904-441-6900 and text the word connect. That will pull up our digital connect card and you can use that to share any prayer requests that you may have or if you're a visitor where you're visiting from. And um, great way to just get in touch with our pastoral staff, our ministry staff, let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can be helping you. You can also use that same number to pull up our digital bulletin. Just text the word news and it'll let you know everything that's happening in the life of our church throughout the week a few things that are happening this week. If you are 55 and better, we have a movie happening tomorrow here in the CLC. You do not want to miss it. So that's for all of our 55 and better uh, uh, young adults. Also, we have our Serve Sunday coming up July 24th and July 31st. If you missed it last year, all of our ministries we'll have a table out in the atrium and it's a great way to get connected. If you felt like you are called to serve in a certain area, you can stop by one of the tables, find out more information. If you've just been burning to be on the parking team, that's a great way to get connected with all of the different ways that you can serve here at Anastasia Church. We are so incredibly grateful for the generosity that y'all have shown. Um, Because of you, we are able to reach our community in such an incredible way. We have seen God moving throughout the summer in just huge ways, and that's because you are such a great and giving church. If you would like to partner with us, I wanna encourage you, you can text that number, 904-441-6900, text the word give, and you can give through that way, or there are also offering boxes in the back of the CLC that you can use to give your um, offering. With that, let's say a prayer. Lord, we humbly come before you and we thank you for the good work that you are doing through this church. And Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity that we get to be a part of your blessing, that we get to be your hands and your feet and we get to go throughout St. Augustine and share the good word of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that we will continue to be a church that gives faithfully, that honors you in our gifts, our talents, and our money, and that we would never hold more closely anything on this earth than we do you, Lord. Praise all in your heavenly name, amen. This morning we have a very special guest preaching and giving the word. If you have been around Anastasia Church for any amount of time, you have probably known Pastor Ron Moore. He was senior pastor here for over 25 years, and we are so blessed to have him as um, Pastor Emeritus. So will you please welcome Pastor Ron Moore.
2: Thank you for the honor and the privilege of being allowed to be here today. Uh, I'm very grateful to Walter, Pastor Walter, for uh, uh, allowing me to fill the pulpit this morning. And by the way, um, Walter's our nephew He's, our, he's my wife's brother's son. And so um, Walter came on the staff while I was still pastor here and immediately began to make his mark in the church. And then when I retired, the church called him as the pastor of the congregation. And I must say, he is doing a disgustingly wonderful job. <laughs> I would like to read this morning a uh, passage of scripture. I'll do that in just a moment. But first of all, I just simply want to say that we live in a world where bad things happen to people. It may be that some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because they've happened to you. And bad things don't just happen to good people. They happen to everyone. My wife and I were watching a movie about maybe a couple of months ago. It was one of those nights where we couldn't find anything that we actually wanted to see and we were just scrolling through the movies trying to find one that we could, that we could watch. We finally ended up on a movie and I said, well, let's just try it and see. And the, the man who was the leading actor in the movie was really not a very nice person. He was a cynic. He had kind of a sour attitude toward everything. And so I leaned over to my wife and I said to her, I said, I bet you this is a Christian movie. I said, toward the end of the movie, this man is going to come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior and he's going to change. I could not have been more wrong. What happened is further over in the movie, the man meets a woman. A woman, she's in the hospital. Her 14 year old boy is the patient there. And her 14 year old son has leukemia. And according to the movie script, uh, they have done everything they can do uh, for him, and nothing has worked. His body has not responded to anything they have done. And in the movie, the doctors have come to the mother and they have said to her, you need to prepare for your son's death because there's nothing more we can do. So she's relating this to the man who is the star of the movie. And he becomes enraged at this news. He goes outside, it's in the night, He looks up at the starry sky. Now this man has already said that he is an atheist. But He looks up at the starry sky and he says, God, if there is a God, you must be a monster. And just in case we didn't get it the first time, He says, a God who would allow a 14-year-old boy to die must be a monster. Well, in the movie script, the next scene, lo and behold, the boy has gone into remission. And he comes into the hospital, and the, the mother is packing the son's suitcase. They're going home. I'm thinking to myself, okay, so now he's going to go outside. He's going to look up at the sky and say, God, I apologize. I was wrong. Or God, I was mistaken. Or God, thank you. But none of that happened. What he did was he complimented the doctors and the medication. He never mentioned God again. And so the impression that was left with me at any rate was that God is responsible for the bad things that go on in the world, but he doesn't get any credit for the good things, just the bad things. I think actually this attitude is prevalent in our society. As a matter of fact, I believe even a lot of Christians have this attitude. I've had people say to me, Pastor, Why is God doing this to me? I've had people say to me, Pastor, I've been teaching Sunday school for 20 years. Why did God let this happen to me? I've had people come and sit down in my office and look at me and say, Pastor, what have I done wrong that God is punishing me? So I would like, if I might, to try to give a, what I believe is a biblical response to this issue of suffering and God. If you'll open your Bible with me to Romans chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 18, and I'm going to read down to the end of the chapter. But I'll tell you up front, I'm not going to preach on the entire passage, I'm just going to pull three verses out of this passage and we're going to focus on those three verses, okay? So let's go. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome and he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith For faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to the dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing, themselves, men committing shameless acts with men, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now what I want to do is just pull out of those verses, three verses. In verse 24, in verse 26, and in verse 28, Paul says, and God gave them up. You see, what Paul is doing in chapter 1 of Romans Microphone, maybe that's my voice. How about that? <laughs> Paul, in chapter one, Paul is saying that all the Gentiles are sinners. And all the Jews are going, right. But then in chapter two, Paul says, oh, by the way, all the Jews are sinners also. And then in chapter three, Paul will say, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And he will say, there is none righteous, no, not even one. All of us are sinners. Okay? What Paul does in the three verses that we've talked about, where he says God gave them up, he's giving us an insight into what God's judgment on our sin looks like while we are still alive in this world. Not when we die, but while we're still alive and still in this world. Here's what Paul is saying. We, we are on earth. We see sin that we love and we're, we're going for it. But God reaches out, he puts his hands around us, he holds us back. And he's saying to us, no, that will destroy you. If you do that, I'm going to restrain you so you can't do it. But we, in our headstrong, rush into sin, say to God, take your hands off of me. I want to live my life my way. And so when we persist, when we insist on having our way, then says Paul, God takes his hands off of us and lets us run to the sin that we want to live in. And God says to us, if that's the person that you want to be, I'll let you be that person. If that's the kind of the world that you want to make, I'll let you have that world. But you see, it was never God's will for us to live in this kind of world. When God made the first man and the first woman, He put them in the Garden of Eden, it, it, was, a, it was paradise, there was no suffering. There was no pain, there was no conflict, there was no evil, there was no violence, there was no death, there was perfect relationship between the man and the woman, there was perfect relationship between them and nature, and nature was, was cordial and good to them as they were to nature, and there was a perfect relationship with God. God, they walked with God in the cool of the evening, paradise, Eden was a perfect place that was God's will for us and that still is God's will for us God said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth have children let them go out and expand the Garden of Eden the Garden of Eden just a small place but as you have children and they go out they'll expand the borders of Eden until finally Eden will encompass the entire world And the whole world would be the Garden of Eden. That's God's will for us. But you know the story. We didn't want that. We wanted to do it our way. And the world we have now is a result of us doing it our way. And sin has warped the way we think. So that we think good is bad and bad is good. We created a world that we live in, and then we blame we blame it on God. Can I tell you what the issue is? The problem with the world and all the all the suffering. we are the problem. Until you deal, until you deal with us, you can't change the world. You cannot educate people out of it. You cannot give them prosperity so they move beyond it. As long as we are who we are, The world is always going to be the way it is. You have to do three things to change the world. Okay? Very simple things, things that you already know, but I'm going to repeat them for you if I might. Okay? First of all is that we accept responsibility for the way the world is. Why do I say that? because I don't think we do. I don't think we accept their responsibility at all. I think we point to other people and we say, if they would change, the world would be a better place. If those stupid drivers on the highway with me, (laughs) would quit being so stupid, highways wouldn't be so dangerous. If those terrorists over there would quit being terrorists, we'd have a much better world. If the bad people who are doing bad things would quit doing the bad things, the world would be a better place. We don't accept responsibility, we pass the responsibility along to those other people. They are the problem. If they will change, our world will be a better place. The problem with that is, We don't understand the nature of sin. You see, sin, we're sinners not because we do bad things. We do bad things because we're sinners. What do I mean by that? Well, sin is actually self-centeredness. Figuratively speaking, it relates to God and it relates to people. We say to God, I'm going to take you off your throne. I'm going to put you over here and I'm going to ascend your throne. And instead of me being your servant, you're going to be my servant. And your job, God, is to give me whatever I want. I'm the center of the universe. Now, I'm overstating the case, but you get the picture. We say to our neighbor as we sit on our throne, the whole universe revolves around me. And your job as my neighbor's is to bow down and give me homage. And that's why the husband that goes to work every day is as honest as can be, is a good person, loves his wife, loves his children, does a good job, goes to church, whatever. He is just as much a sinner in the eyes of God, as is the ax murderer and the rapist. And the judgment on him on the day of judgment will be the same judgment that the ax murderer and the rapist gets because the judgment on sin is death, eternal death. Every time that we exalt ourselves, we turn the world around us from being paradise to being hell. If you don't believe that, just look at the dictators of the world. When they got in positions of power, no matter what they said as they were rising up, once they get there in that position of power, they turn their country into a living hell. That's been documented over and over and over again. The self-centeredness destroys the good. The only cure is to look in the mirror at ourselves and to say to ourselves, I I'm a sinner and I need to change. I can't make somebody else change. The only person that I can control is me. And so my job is not to criticize them for being who they are. My job is to look in the mirror and say, Ron, you need to change. And what you do is you you do what the prodigal son did when he came back from the far country, back to his father's house. He'd been practicing all the way there on what he was going to say when he met his father. Because he didn't leave on all that good terms. When he got back home, the first thing that came out of his mouth, his father was, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'm not worthy. When you and I come to the point to where we get down on our knees and say to God, God, I have sinned against heaven, And against you. And I'm not worthy. To be called your son. When we do that. That's the first step. In making the world. A better place. Okay. The second step. Well let me. I'm going to. I'm going to digress here just a moment. I'm going to chase a rabbit if you don't mind. I got news for you even after you do that, even after you give your heart to Christ, even after you're baptized, even after you join the church, become a church member, you know what? You're still a sinner. You never cease to be self-centered. Never, ever. As long as you live in this world, you will always be self-centered. The difference between a saved sinner and a lost sinner is the saved sinner knows it, admits it, and is trying to be different. And the lost sinner denies it or is proud of it. That's why churches aren't perfect. That's why when you go to church, there can be all these struggles this one trying to have their way. That one trying to have their way. They're pulling and tugging at one another. They're bumping into one another. They're clashing together. When I was a young pastor, I was in a committee meeting and I had to stand up and get two people separated because they were going to fist fight. Churches can never be perfect because they're made up of sinners. All of us, even the pastors are sinners. You never stop getting on your knees every day of your life and praying the Lord's prayer. And in that prayer, there's a prayer for forgiveness. Forgive me my trespasses every day of your life because you're still self-centered. Now, when we get to glory, all that changes. But in this world, that's always the way it's going to be. Okay, there's my rabbit. (laughs) Second thing, first thing is accept responsibility. Second thing is accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Why is that important? Because when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, he changes you on the inside. He puts his Holy Spirit in you. He gives you a new way of thinking. You look at the world through a different set of eyes. You you hear things. You receive things from the world. And when they're processed by your brain, if your brain has been remade, rewired, influenced by the Holy Spirit, what you hear is different, and how you respond is different. You're changing on the inside out. That's the power of Christ. He comes into you, and he changes you from the inside, and you literally become, under his tutelage, and it takes a while to do this, but you literally become a new person in Christ. You see, that's why becoming a Christian is so valuable because it changes who you are on the inside, okay? So, how are, you, how are you saved? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. It's a gift, it's a gift. When you're on your knees confessing your sins Just say, Jesus Christ, come and save me. And in that moment, your life enters a transformation that will take the rest of your life to work out. But you you start becoming a different person from that point on. We have the promise from God that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. My third point, and that is that we accept Jesus Christ as Lord. I say that because that's the issue I've had to struggle with all my life. That's the issue I've watched my fellow church members struggle with also. You see, I think most of us want to get saved. We want to be good people. We want to go to heaven when we die. We want to be good church members. Our problem is we don't want to be too religious. What's the problem with that? Christianity is radical until you embrace the radicalness of the Christian faith, you have not embraced the Christian faith. To love your enemies, to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you and despise you, to let someone slap you in the face, and turned the other cheek. I had a guy one time when Jesus said, you know. Peter said seven times, Lord. He said seventy times seven. And the guy and I and I was talking to him. and He, he said that's four hundred ninety times. He said the four hundred ninety first time. Said I'm gonna floor him. <laughs> I said I don't, I don't believe you get the point. <laughs> You see, Christianity is not just about being a good person. It's about being like Christ. And there's a difference. You can be a good person without being a Christian. But if you're going to be a Christian, then what you do is you literally give your life to Christ So I'm not in charge of my life anymore. He is. I'm reading the word trying to find out how to live this life. And can I tell you a little secret? The words of Christ are not suggestions. They're orders. Not it'd it'd be nice if you would do this. It is do this live like this to make Him Lord of our lives so that I'll turn my life over to Him and He's in charge. Because here, here's the problem. You cannot change the world if you're like the world. The problem with the church in America, the whole church in America, is that we're no different than the world outside. When the world looks at us, they don't see a dramatic difference in the way we live our lives. You can't change the world if you're not different from the world. Okay? So, the need of the hour is accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, and let Him change us into His power. Let us bow for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just pray that Your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and lives and help us to be who You call us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may stand for invitation hymn.
0: go out today. Let's embrace Jesus as our Savior. Let's embrace him as our Lord, and let's change the world together. Amen? Amen. Have a great weekend.